0: Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University.
1: If you take a step back and you go, well, hold on, we're trying to sell these vegetarian products to this group of people, then who are the key influences in that area? Because actually, if you can get them to turn around and say, this is absolutely wonderful because they've got the credibility, then you are using those influencers to sell your product and service. Over the 21 years that I've been doing this, see how I did the math really quickly?
0: Yeah, that was really quickly, like 20 minutes after you mentioned. Yeah, <laughs> Your customers can be as happy as, as they want to be about your offering, but that doesn't mean they're gonna to talk to other people about it because that's a separate action that requires a separate benefit for them for doing that.
1: Ryan, we've got a business problem, a pickle that um, somebody's written into us with. And the listener is, uh, is John. And he is starting his own company, which is really good, John. Really exciting journey. Sean. He's got this really good idea. I'm not going to get into the, the product or service that he's he's looking to sell. The heart of his question is this, which is how can he get other people to sell his product for him? There's obviously direct sales and you know, over the web and sales reps and all those other usual things. But. His question is, is how can he, what other channels are there that he can use to get other people to sell uh, sell his, his product and service? And I thought this would be a, an interesting one to, um, to get into and to list down the various different ways. Agreed. Makes sense? Yeah. we've well, broken this down into a list of eight different areas, Okay and we're going to try to give you some
0: examples of each of these as we as we go as as well i always encourage people to think about any any marketing tactic including your sales channel to think about these things strategically to think about what is it that you want to get out of this so for example when you're communicating when you're advertising there are different goals that you can have for your communication. So you can, you can seek to increase awareness, just let people know that you exist or remind them that you exist. You can have an education campaign. You want to train them on some new way of doing things. Or you can have a persuasion campaign where you're really trying to convince them that your offering is better than some other offerings are out there. It's nice to say, oh, well, we'll just do all of those things at once. But the reality is that it's difficult to do all of those things with a single communications campaign. I think it's it's a similar idea here. So uh, I love the list that you've come up with, all these indirect sales techniques. But I would encourage John and any other listeners out there to think about what their goals are. What are their strategic needs? Yep. is it if you're a brand new company that the most important thing is that the most people hear about you? Like starting off, is that what you need? Do you need like a, a broad awareness campaign? Well, certain of these indirect sales techniques are going to be better at that than others. Alternatively. Is this a very new product, like a new type of offering? Do you need people to to get some training on this to kind of understand what it is? That's an education campaign. Again, that's that's going to work better for some of these channels than others. Is this a, a persuasion situation where people are going to really need a reason to believe that your offering is better than other things that they could get out there? You're going to need you know, somebody with credibility delivering your message, somebody that people trust. Again, some of these channels are going to be better at that than others. So before we dig in and go through the list, I'll encourage our listeners to think about that. Like, what are your goals? What are your needs as a firm? Because some of these are going to be great for you, and some of them are going to be terrible for you, Yeah, but it's because it's for you. Like, what is your need? Yes, very good point.
1: And I guess I'd build on top of that as well, is how do these fit into the brand, you know, what brand are you looking to create and do these, do these? Because some of these, I think, for me, are diametrically opposite to the brand that you may be trying to create. And let me say, you know, I mean, I've, I've had my own company now for, well, since 2002, so a
0: number of years. Don't think we didn't all just see you avoid math, Colin. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to actually take a step back and thought, What year are we in? I can't remember (laughs)
1: what year are we in, but a long time. So each of these areas, I've also given some personal thoughts to go in, and a couple of these areas, particularly the first one, which is affiliated marketing, I've avoided, and I've avoided it for reasons of wanting to be independent. So so I guess the, the headline here is think about it strategically, absolutely what Ryan's just saying, but also think about the type of brand that you're trying to create And I think we did a podcast a little while ago, didn't we, about how to create your brand if you're um, starting off your own company. So maybe we'll put that link in the in the show notes to people. Let's crack on. And I've already said the first area is affiliated marketing. Okay, so affiliated marketing is effectively where somebody sells your product for you. It could be we turn around and say, "Hey, come and buy a wonderful this this pen that we've got is is from this company is really great." And there's a link in the show notes. This is all fictitious, by the way. Uh, there's a link in the show notes, and if you go through to that, and you can buy this wonderful pen, and we would then get a cut of if you went ahead and bought that, then we would get a cut of that pen. All right, that is a good way of doing things if your product is more of a volume type product or actually the opposite end to a certain extent. You can actually, if you think that there is a company that, that has got some consulting companies, this is one of the areas where we have been approached by many different organizations that effectively sell their product for them. Why are they coming to us? Because they know that we've got the contacts. And particularly in the high value areas, they believe that particularly, and this particularly applies for us with things like journey mapping software and various different things like that, we've been approached to work with organisations in the past. I hasten to add, we've always said no. That goes back to that sort of strategic bit and that planning bit, which was about the brand, which is the reason we've always said no to this, it is because we value our independence and we don't want to be turning around and saying, buy this system as opposed to buy that system because we actually would just like to be saying to our clients, you need some, you know, we would recommend you need some journey mapping software or whatever it may be. But we're not experts in this because we are trying to be focused on on what we do well and not try to push something to a client that they may not want and may not be the best for them, to be totally honest with you
0: let me tie what you just said back to the earlier point so from your perspective as a consulting firm for beyond philosophy part of the value proposition that you're offering is independence right you wanted to maintain that because it's something that your clients would value they know that they can trust you and your recommendations from the perspective of the firm selling the software the reason that they wanted to partner with you is because of your credibility (laughs) so you have your have contacts but then you also have credibility and so they would be using you assuming you were willing to do that for awareness maybe but mostly for credibility and so affiliate marketing can be a way of pushing this kind of persuasion message there's there's other types of affiliate marketing though that are mostly about awareness i saw an instagram video just a few days ago where somebody was was promoting like a um kind of a diy business model by the way, if you're getting your, your business models from Instagram reels, probably <laughs> not the but this yes, is you took uh, back credibility. This is a, a passive income strategy where you just go on Amazon and become an affiliate marketer for them. And then you just you find links of, of to products that sell for a lot of money, and then you create a Pinterest board. And then you just include all these things in there. And then if anybody's on your Pinterest board and then clicks through to buy that thing, then you get some money as foot. That's offering no credibility at all, right? This is an anonymous person who created a Pinterest board that's mostly going to be full of stuff from Amazon, but it might work for awareness, right? And so affiliate marketing can serve multiple aims. Again, what is your goal? That's going to determine what type of affiliate marketing plan you would you would engage in and uh, how you that. so let's get on to
1: number two because number two sort of similar-ish to affiliated marketing but it's referral programs so the example i would give here is we get frozen meals delivered to our house That are basically all plants. Okay. We're constantly being asked to refer
0: our friends for 20 quid or, you know, $25 or whatever it may be. And did you write back to them and let them know that vegetarians don't have friends? (laughs) They don't. Yeah. Well, they do.
1: They have lots of cows and people. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess that's true. But it's the classic referral, the referral program. And I think for me, the same thing applies. So they're trying to use, obviously, your contacts, your knowledge. They're trying to spread their message. And they're trying to use the credibility because they know that if I turn around to them and say, hey, this is good and we have this, et cetera, et cetera. And again, from our business perspective, We've had people that have asked us to do referrals to them. And again, we've not done that for the the same reason. So I think referral programs, again, and let me be clear, I'm not knocking any of these at all. Okay, these work, but it goes back to your very good point at the very beginning, Ryan, which is it's got to be done in the right place for the right reason. And John, if you can get, and this actually comes onto the third area, actually, which is influencer marketing. Okay, and this is obviously something that's grown up over the last few years. If you take a step back and you go, well, hold on, we're trying to sell these vegetarian products to this group of people. Then who are the key influences in that area? Because actually, if you can get them to turn around and say, this is absolutely wonderful because they've got the credibility, then you are using those influencers to sell your product and service for you. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yep. So, influencer marketing is the third area. The fourth area, which I think starts to get into some really interesting parts, because this is where you start getting into the business to business area, is where you're co branding with people. Okay. And some examples of this that I would give would be Nike and Apple, where you're starting to see both brands very sort of close together. The other one I was thinking about as I was preparing for this is Intel Inside. Yeah. And when you think about, if you think about Intel, I think it's an interesting case study because the reality is, is that most people didn't realize Intel could be anybody. So forget the whole campaign for the moment. If the campaign didn't exist, most people wouldn't
0: have a bloody clue what processor was in the unit and would have placed no value on it even after the campaign people have no idea what a microprocessor is or what it does
1: they just
0: know that intel means it's good
1: yeah unless you're a bit of a nerd like me and you go well that's so and so megahertz that's interesting that's you know and that one's a bit better and look from the apple side you've now got the m1 and the m2 and the m3 and you know all different processor speeds but I realize I'm in a different segment of the market to you, (laughs) right? But what they clearly did was they recognized that whilst they may still be selling their processor to IBM and whoever it was at the the very beginning, that they needed to co-brand it to provide some value. Otherwise, they would just be a commodity. So that's where they started to put the stickers on and come up with the audio branding, et cetera, et cetera. So when you're co-branding a product, that can absolutely be really powerful as as well.
0: Yeah. And again, think to the motivations of the multiple players involved. So you I know mean, you're looking for collaborators here. And if you want them to be on board, they need to be getting something out of this. So for affiliate marketing and for referral programs, you're influencing people by paying them essentially or offering them discounts or for co-branding, it's a different story. Usually, there's some kind of revenue sharing um, that comes out of that. But like usually, there's like a major brand and a minor brand in a co-branding, and so usually the minor brand is getting reach right out of the the larger brand, and the larger brand is getting something, and it's usually some form of like credibility or coolness or so. Like one co-branding example that I like is that Ford out an Eddie Bauer edition of the Ford Explorer. So this is the Ford Explorer where like the trim colors and the interior design was done by, by the clothing designer, Eddie Bauer. And it made Ford kind of cooler and more outdoorsy and rugged. And So Ford was getting coolness, Eddie Bauer was getting reach and exposure. They both were getting, but you need to know what what both players are getting before you try to engage in a co-branding. Strategy.
1: yeah and i think that that it goes back to it doesn't it because it's that credibility because each brand needs to be credible so you can imagine ford doing a co-branding with bert scroggins yeah uh you know that well-known person bert scroggins yeah. the scroggins mobile sure we've all heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is john unfortunately you're not going to be able to do a deal With the Apples or the Nikes or the Fords or whoever in this world, because unfortunately, mate, you don't have the credibility yet to be able to do that. So each of the brands have got to get something out of it. And for me, ideally, it's attacking a slightly different market. And the reason you're co branding is because you're in an adjacent marketplace and maybe there's a little bit of overlap between the two. But actually, one and one doesn't make two, it makes three in that co-branding. And that's the in, that's the important aspect of it. Ryan, I've got some interesting facts for you around the number of 80,000. I'm happy to sit at
0: your feet and learn your wisdom, Colin. What are these facts? Did you know that 80,000 kilometers is the circumference of the earth? As far as you know, I did know that. (laughs) Did you know, Colin, that 80,000 is roughly the population of Livermore, California, home of the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory Science Center? No, I didn't. What's more incredible, Ryan, is
1: 80,000 people is the number of people who have subscribed to the LinkedIn newsletter,
0: Why Customers Buy, that I write every week. Colin, if you were able to get all of your readers together, you could form your own city.
1: I could. And if we put them end to end, they may even go around the circumference of the earth. If they were all
0: one kilometer tall, that (laughs) is true.
1: (laughs) So if you'd like to join the other 80,000 people who enjoy the Why Customers Buy newsletter each week, then simply go to LinkedIn, look up my name, and you'll see the newsletter there. We look forward to seeing you every week. So co-branding is number four. Number five, John are joint ventures, and joint ventures are different to co-branding, and probably one of the joint ventures that I I remember coming from the telecom industry is Sony and Ericsson. They see that the mobile phone is starting to, the smartphone was starting to really take hold. They needed to respond, so they started to, the two of them got together and created Sony Ericsson, okay? Okay. On the negative side of things, if you think back to the AOL and Time Warner joint venture, yeah, then you go, what a nightmare that was. The money that was wasted there, and I've worked in organizations where you've set up where in telecoms, the company will remain nameless, but we set up a joint venture. We actually went and told all of our leading clients that they were going to move to this joint venture company and then it wasn't approved and so we had to then go and tell them that they're not moving to this company they're moving they're going to be staying with the two individual companies the key thing i learned from that was just the level of disruption that that caused and then the internal focus that caused so actually starting to try to work out well who's going to do what where in which marketplace the top level joining of the two companies was a good idea the actual implementation of it was a
0: was a nightmare yeah one of the differences between co-branding and and joint ventures is kind of the level of integration so for co-branding a lot of times there's still a dominant product the eddie bauer edition of the ford explorer was a ford explorer it just had a little right and and like the um, intel inside sticker was still going onto an ibm laptop or an hp computer to john's point, like that's going to be hard for a startup, it's going to be hard for a a joint venture to say, Hey, here's a brand that doesn't exist yet, but you should partner with me. No brand is going to get anything out of that joint ventures. On the other hand, require some kind of expertise, right? So some, something that you are bringing to the table from a business perspective, and it is possible that startups can be in a position to bring something to the table there. So if you are offering something that's really innovative. If you have some expertise that an existing brand doesn't have, it is possible, not easy, but it is still possible for you as a startup to engage in a joint venture where a co-branding thing might require a more established brand on your part.
1: Uh, the other thing I'd, I'd say is, you know, because we're talking here about large organizations, okay, uh, and the reason we're doing that is to, you know, so people can try to relate to what we're saying, okay? Okay. The same principle applies even in a small business environment. You can turn around, John, and turn around and say, well, actually, I am going to set up a joint venture. I'm bringing this to the party. They're bringing that to the party, and we're going to set up a joint venture, and it's going to be called that,
0: yeah? Your point, with another small business.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the same same principles apply. Number five is sponsorship. So again, from a big perspective, whether it's sponsoring a, the local soccer team at their stadium, whether it's shirts, whether it's sponsoring events or whatever it may be, or even again, you know, go down to the customer experience industry, you get lots of the software companies sponsoring conferences, et cetera, et cetera. But you're getting somebody else; you're paying somebody else to effectively advertise your product. They are lending you, which I, I think is a good way of describing it. They're lending you their credibility as, as well. Yeah. So sponsoring things in some way.
0: Yeah. It's, it tends to be real effective for awareness campaigns. And there can be kind of emotional spillover, right? If you're sponsoring a sports club that people like, then they'll tend to like you a little bit more because of that. But it's not a great persuasive tool. You know, if you see a bunch of people wearing the shirts with your logo on it, that'll make them aware that you exist. So therefore, they might be more willing to kind of believe you're an actual company and so on. So if that's your goal, that's great. But uh, it's not as good on education and and persuasion.
1: No, no, absolutely. I mean, I can't remember the sponsor's name now, but I remember over here, Manchester United sponsored one of the, I think it was uh, an insurance company, if my memory serves me correctly. And I'd never heard of them. But the reason that they did it was for the global recognition, and therefore you went, oh, "I don't know now," and that sort of then led, led you down and to a different track and that was, importantly that was then backed up with other campaigns and advertising and everything else that
0: that that went into it, so it went into an overall plan. my son's high school tennis team has local restaurants and businesses that have sponsored the court and they have their banners all around. And you know, that's a very minor example, but there are a lot of businesses that I heard about for the first time sitting around the tennis court watching watching my kids play. No,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. The seventh one is testimonials and reviews. So asking somebody to give a testimonial or review, we do that on this uh, podcast, and if you haven't done a re- testimonial or a very re- review, that would be absolutely wonderful if you could. Oh, that was nice,
0: Colin. Always be closing, <laughs>
1: always be closing. <laughs> but you are getting somebody else to sell your product for you, okay? By put somebody writing a review, they're obviously saying that they hopefully they think it's good, and therefore other people look at that, and we all know about reviews. And the last area, number eight, is uh, strategic partnerships. So these are different to sort of those joint ventures and the co-branding. But if you've got a strategic partnership, it's a bit like, and the example I always like here is Spotify and Starbucks. You can actually download playlists that Starbucks have been using. You can actually, you know, then that sponsorship, that sort of Uh, Strategic partnership started in 2015. It's not a joint venture. It's not a formal thing. The two parties are gaining something out of it. It's in a similar environment. They're not clearly competing at all. From Starbucks' perspective, is adding to the experience that they're creating the ambience and all those other wonderful things. And I guess that's a really important thing. And this is something that goes back to I've talked about in the past. I'm a great believer in uh, the Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And the reason I mention that is because all of these need to be a win-win. I think that is probably my biggest bit of advice, to be honest, John. Over the 21 years that I've been doing this, see how I did the math really quickly?
0: Yeah, that was 21 years. Really quickly, like 20 minutes after you mentioned <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
1: Super hold on hold on let me uh, where's
0: my calculator is it yeah i know you got so? a i know you got a pad full of paper there that uh, you've been working on that for the last one
1: <laughs> yeah
0: but over the 21 years that
1: i've been doing this all of these i've looked either personally looked into all of these or had people approach me about some of these okay the issue is and the Stephen covey connection is is it a win-win and all too often When organizations are approaching me, it's a win-lose. In other words, they win, I lose. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got to make it a win-win and provide the backup and go into it with that mentality, I think, is the important aspect.
0: I think that's the key takeaway for all of these. So I I hope that this list opened people's minds to the possibilities. There's lots of of interesting ways that you can do things. You can try combining some of these ideas. But ultimately, if you want this to work, everybody involved needs to get something out of it. I talk about um, when I talk to my students about the idea of things going viral or about getting customers to spread word of mouth about you your customers can be as happy as as they want to be about your offering, but that doesn't mean they're going to talk to other people about it because that's a separate action that requires a separate benefit for them for doing that. And often those benefits are kind of relational. Like I tell you about something that I love, not because I love the brand, but because I like you and I want you to to benefit from this, right? So that's a different source of value. And so if you want something to go viral, you need to provide that secondary source of value. It's not enough to satisfy if somebody as a customer, you now need to satisfy them as a collaborator as well. And the same lessons apply to all of these. What are they gonna get out of it? What is this brand that you wanna partner with going to get out of it? What are these affiliates going to get out of it? Sometimes it's as simple as money. You're gonna give them a cut of whatever they make. That's great, no problem with that at all. Other times it's something different, something more interesting. But if you haven't thought through that, none of these are gonna work.
1: Sure. And if I- I should actually amend what I just said, because it's not just win-win; it's win-win-win. Yeah, customer needs. So to get something out of it, the too. customer needs to get something out of those things as well. And again, what you're trying to do is you're trying to make sure that one and one don't just make two; it makes three, and the customer gets that benefit as as well. And I think in all of those, when done. In all of those examples, when done correctly, and the most successful, that's when you get the win-win-win, basically. So we hope that's been of use, John. Please let us know how it goes, mate. I'd be fascinated to see which route you take, and I would just reiterate what Ryan said at the top of the show, actually. Base it upon what the strategy is. Think about what the brand is that you're trying to create, Uh, And if you're going to go down this route, choose which one is going to be the most beneficial for you as part of your overall strategy. Great. We look forward to talking to you next week. Cheers. Thanks very much for listening to the show today. We really hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have, it would be really great if you could leave us a review.